I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Today, we're on the road to hear your stories. Changing things up, going out, meeting people. KSL in your community. Live from Grantsville High School in Tooele County. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic on KSL News Radio. You just heard Dan Bombas call it, well, mostly sunny along the Wasatch Front in the Salt Lake City area, and it is blue skies, just slight scattered clouds out here in Grantsville. And as I pulled into town, I noticed uh, one thing that I was made me smile, Dave, is gas prices are about twenty-five cents a gallon cheaper. As I was pulling into the into Main onto Main Street here in Grantsville than they are along the Wasatch Front. I guess that's the, one of the benefits of living about forty miles west of Salt Lake City. I appreciate you telling me that. As I filled up at three seventy nine a gallon <laughs> this morning, thank you. Um, you know, the other thing I noticed as well is uh, lots of big lots, lots of open space, and homes sitting on an acre, half an acre lots, twelve acre lots. I mean, it it is so different from where where we're at. We're kind of packed together. Um, along the Wasatch Front. So th- beautiful. Uh, really excited to be here in Grantsville. Uh, once a cowboy, always a cowboy. That's one of the, the mottos here at Grantsville. It's the Grantsville Cowboys. Uh, that's the high school we're at, and we're excited to be here. Oh, we're going to be speaking to the mayor of Grantsville in about 45 minutes about growth and how they're coping with growth. And we're also speaking to a real estate agent, um, wondering what the housing prices look like for um, first-time home buyers here in the Grantsville area or families looking to move away and get out of Salt Lake County, get a little bit further out and maybe to the a country life feel. Yeah, quite honestly, when you start looking about at the commute times, if you're living out here in Tooele County, it's not that much different than if you're commuting from Utah County or even Weber County. Let's get to our top local story. Dave Indigenovic. Dave Indigenovic. Special coverage of the top local story. We have new insights this morning about the shooting death of a 25-year-old driver in Farmington. It began last Wednesday as a traffic stop when a police officer pulled up behind a blue sedan. Now, uh, you look at that sedan, and it's hard to see for sure from all the, the dash cam video and the body cam video, but, but please say it was an illegitimate license plate. We know this because Farmington PD released that video footage from police cars and also the body-worn cameras from officers who were on the scene at the Farmington Post Office when this shooting occurred and the 25-year-old driver was killed. When I was watching this, uh, it was hard. It was hard to watch it because you knew what was going to happen. Um, But you could feel immediately, as soon as the officer walks up to the vehicle and the window is only rolled down a few inches, uh, you could immediately see that there was going to be this confrontational exchange and that's exactly what was happening over the next 20 minutes we're going to be taking a deep dive into a lot of questions about this shooting uh, also bringing ksl legal analyst greg scordis into the conversation 
Um, my first observation as I was watching this video, and I watched it several times from many different body cameras, you notice that it's just one officer who pulls the car over, walks up, kind of knocks on, on the door, the driver's window. As you said, the driver rolls it down just a few inches. The car has extremely dark tinted windows. So at one point, the officer asks the driver, can you please roll down the back window? He just wants to make sure nobody else is in, inside, but the, the, the driver doesn't, doesn't comply with that. Um, and he, the officer also immediately identifies himself. Says he's with Farmington PD. He's in uniform. Explains the reason for the stop. I thought he was very clear about that, that there was no registration on the car. But the driver right away said, I, I don't need a registration. I don't answer questions. Uh, and then the officer at, right away then asks for a couple of more officers for backup. And Debbie, when, it, when I said... It was confrontational. It was confrontational in a strange way. It wasn't like they were yelling at each other. The voices weren't raised. Both sides were actually quite calm in the interactions. The police officer was asking questions. This individual was refusing to answer. And when he did answer, it, it was kind of spewing uh, some some laws and constitutional yeah. rights that he believes. Uh, so let's pick up the body cam video from that initial officer uh, who was responding or who was pulling over that driver. Let's pick up the body camera video where that officer re-explains to the driver the reason for the stop. Let's listen. David DeGeneres. Do we have that audio? David DeGeneres. I guess we're having... We're having some troubles um, hearing that audio right now. Maybe our producers back in the newsroom can get that fixed. Um, but what, I mean, basically the driver tells the officer uh, if he wants identification, which the officer repeats. And uh, the, the driver clearly did not want to comply with the commands of the officer to, uh, to answer very simple questions. I counted... Uh, according to my count, the driver was asked eight times to provide identification by the officers and was asked to get out of the car by the officers because by now there are a total of five officers on the scene. He was asked six times to get out of the car. But what I don't hear on the body camera footage is the officer asking the driver if he had a gun. I also don't hear the driver tell the officer that he had a gun. Let's get into that conversation straight ahead with KSL legal analyst, Greg Scordis. David DeGenevic, special coverage of the top local story. Well, we now have that traffic stop video from the body cams of the Farmington Police Department uh, that ended in the shooting death of a 25-year-old driver. Um, it lasts about four minutes. It's about a four-minute stop from the time the officer gets out of his car, walks up to the, the, the blue sedan, kind of knocks on the window. The driver rolls the window down just a few inches and sort of talks to the officer uh, through that window the whole time until he eventually he's, the officers attempt to get him out of the car. Now, according to my count, Dave, I watched all of these videos multiple times. I counted that the driver was asked eight times to provide ID get out of the car six times, but I don't hear on the body cam footage is the officer asking if the driver has a gun or a weapon in the car. I also don't hear the driver 
tell the officer he has a gun. Yeah, I didn't hear that either. Part of what really shocked me about the video is how quickly things turned Mm -hmm. in in an instant. Um, You had several police officers that were kind of surrounding the car. And then, Debbie, it it took my breath away how they opened up the door and it changed in a heartbeat. It, It was really quite disturbing to see everyone's talking in kind of calm voices, even though there's a tension. They're talking in calm voices, and the next thing you know, uh, gunshots. Um, it, he was pulled over initially for an illegitimate license plate, and I thought the officer was very clear from the get-go, the moment he walked up to the car, why he was pulling this 25-year-old over, um, that there was an issue, didn't have proper registration on the car. Several times the driver refused to give any ID, uh, citing... Like, he didn't need to, he wasn't required to, the officer has no jurisdiction over him, that if uh, he, 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 you know, he would have to provide him with a contract with his wet ink signature on it. I think that's what I heard. The driver wanted the officer to provide him with a contract that he has jurisdiction. It was a very odd response, in my view, from the driver. Yeah, and and something that, as I'm listening to it as a, as a non-police officer, as a layman, I, I have no idea what this driver's talking about. Talking about you're trying to incur debts and take legal action. This is not allowed. My, my federal right to uh, to travel. This, to me, it didn't make any sense. So it, very suspicious. In a moment, we're going to get... KSL legal analyst Greg Scordis into the conversation. He's been on both sides of these uh, officer-involved shootings uh, that result in the death of of, of an individual. Uh, he's been a prosecutor. He's also been a defense attorney. Before we do, I want to listen to about a one-minute-long audio clip from the officer's body camera. Now, we have several different officer's body cameras, um, but this is the, the one-minute clip that I where things take a turn when the one officer gets into the car and it, it then the other it seems like the other officer sort of standing behind him sees the gun now this is a couple of minutes after you know after the stop the driver had finally handed a passport through this four-inch crack in the rolled-down window and and then it makes it seem like the name on the passport is a fake name and so after that exchange, the officers warn him again to get out of the car, and then another officer reaches in. And I, I want to make it clear that we c- edited out the actual gunfire, uh, just because we know that there are probably children listening. So um, let's go ahead and listen to that one-minute clip of audio from the body cam video, and then we'll get Greg in the conversation. Will you hand that to me so I can read it? You want me to look at it through this tiny crack in your window? You're not going to hand it to me? If I hand this to you, accept trusteeship and surety, and you're obligated to... Sure, I'll accept accept trusteeship if you just hand me the document so I can identify who you are because you're required by state law. Thank you so much, Mr. Chase Allen. That is not me. That is a piece of plastic paper. So you have a fraudulent passport? No. Wonderful. That's what I'm hearing. Okay, step out of the car for me. No. Sir, step out of the vehicle no. right now. I am not required to. Step if out of this vehicle right me, now. Then we're going to have an issue. Where Sir, step out of the car right now. Step out of the car. We're going to break the window and pull you out. 
Slip out of the car. Gun, 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 gun. Greg Scordis, KSL legal analyst. We think the gun was in that hip holster. I, I can't 100% say for sure what, what I saw because that video was, was happening so quickly. Dave, what did, what did you see? Well, it, what, another element to this when you're watching the video, you see that the driver is holding his cam, or his camera, his phone. His it looks like yeah. he's recording the interaction. With, with, with his, his cell phone. So with his, with his right, right hand, hand okay. he's holding it. He's, he's obviously uh, kind of got himself being recorded and the interaction with the police officer. So uh, that was something that stood out to me but as then well. It does seem to me that the driver reaches around. But what we don't know, Greg, is if he was reaching around for a seatbelt latch to unlatch it or if he's reaching around to grab that firearm but i want to make it clear we see later in the body cam video that firearm is on the driver's side floorboard after the shooting right and we also see when he's pulled out of the car that he has what looks to be a holster a brown look like a leather holster on his right hand side belt that doesn't have a gun in it and so i think it's fair to assume that there that he did have the gun maybe on him we don't know the officers will have to to talk about that and and the body cams that we have don't because his window the passenger side window was up and and really quite tinted we don't really get to see too much of what he was doing uh from that angle and of course the officers blocking most of the view on the other side when he enters the car so I think we're going to have to rely a lot on what the officers saw and then just what's found afterwards, including the location of the gun and the holster. Right out of the gate, uh, there there was noncompliance, right? The driver was not following the orders, uh, arguing with the police officer, says he is not legally, uh, legally, lawfully required to provide identification. Is that accurate? Well, it's accurate that he said that, but it's not an accurate uh, description of the law. I mean, if you're operating a vehicle in America on a public highway and uh, you're you're required to have a driver's license. And because of that, officers are allowed to ask you for your identification, including that driver's license. So there was nothing inappropriate about the officer's questions. And in fact, he should have, by law, given them some information that would have provided some basis for him being allowed to operate a motor vehicle on a public road. Greg Scordis, KSL legal analyst, joining the conversation this morning as we analyze the body camera videos that have been released by the Farmington Police Department um, from police officers who were involved in that officer-involved shooting last week of 25-year-old Chase Allen. Allen was killed. Uh, and now the investigation to determine whether this is justified or not is continuing. Um, the case still has to be turned over to the county attorney in Davis County, Greg. But I'm wondering, as I'm watching this video, I notice that the, the police officer doesn't, at least the initial responding officer, doesn't ask Mr. Allen if he has a gun or weapon in the car. I didn't hear that on the body cam video. I also don't hear Mr. Allen offering that even as a courtesy to the police officer to say, hey, officer, I am carrying a gun. It is on my right side. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is the officer required to ask that? Is a driver required to give that information? So, so the, answer, the short answer to both is, is probably no. I mean, we've all been stopped for traffic and other violations, and the officers don't ask us if we have a gun. Now, when I, when I drive into the 
the courthouse, they'll ask if I have a weapon or if I'm driving up to the prison to visit a client, they'll ask. But they're not required to. Okay. But I think that most people who teach these concealed carry classes will say, if you're ever stopped by a law enforcement officer and you're carrying, to mention that to the law enforcement officer so that they're not surprised when they see a gun and do this gun, gun, gun thing. I mean, the kid could have and should have said, by the way, I have a gun on my right-hand side, and then if, if the officer wants him to, to keep his hands on the steering wheel or do something for officer safety, they can do that instead of what ended up happening, which was the officers found finding it either by the kid grabbing it or, or whatever. But yeah, they, they, it suddenly is revealed uh, as they're trying to get up. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Out of the car. Uh, Greg, I have one final question. We have probably about 60 seconds or so. A lot of folks are looking at this incident and wondering, uh, with the illegitimate license plate and the initial reaction that the officer got from that driver, which was noncompliance, would there have been an opportunity to de-escalate by the officer letting him go and then perhaps sending a summons to his home? Although I'm not quite sure how the officer would know who was driving that car if that license plate wasn't legitimate. But do you see where I'm going with that question? Yeah, and I think that that's always going to be asked. But I don't know that the officer could have just let him go. For one thing, he's not got a properly licensed or registered vehicle, so you can't really just let him drive on his way when we don't allow give drunk drivers for example a citation and say go ahead and keep driving so people are operating a vehicle he didn't we don't know if he had insurance or registration he certainly didn't have a driver's license so i don't know that the officer could have just allowed him on his way um and and i don't know how he issues him a citation because the kid doesn't identify himself so i don't know how the officer can even get that i i don't i think the officer tried some de-escalation and it just wasn't working at all. Greg, I'm going to beg you to stick around. Dave has about three questions, and so I want to give him the microphone. Uh, can you do that? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, Greg Scord is sticking around for the conversation. Dave, what question do you want to ask him in about three minutes? The camera that the driver has in his hand. I, I think that's important. What is that will, a camera or a cell phone? It's a cell phone. Okay. Yeah, I, it looks I, like an iPhone, right? Yeah, it looks okay. like an iPhone. It looks like he's recording himself. Uh, do we have access to that video? At what point will we see that? And will that give us a unique perspective? Because that is inside the car. Dave Indigenovic. Dave Indigenovic. Special coverage of the top local story. So here's the deal, man. I'm stopping you because there's no registration on your vehicle. 
and I'm requesting your identification. Okay? You are detained at this time and you are not free to leave. Are you going to provide me your identification? I don't answer questions. Okay, so I'm going to take that as a no that you're not going to provide me your identification. Is that is that the route we're going? Or would you like to provide your identification to me and we can have a conversation, we can discuss the laws that you're breaking and then we can go from there. It's about a four-minute traffic stop from the time the initial officer who pulled 25-year-old Chase Allen over in Farmington got out of his vehicle and walked toward Mr. Allen's car and knocked on the window to the time uh, a barrage of bullets uh, flew from officers' guns. There were then five officers uh, total on the scene after the first officer did call for backup. Um, Mr. Allen died. Uh, and now there's an investigation underway to determine if uh, police were legally justified in that shooting. It was incredible to me as I watched this, and we go through it second by second, right, frame by frame. And by the time the officer opens up the door and reaches in to remove the driver and shots are fired is three seconds. Three seconds is how quickly things turn. You initially hear that one of the officers uh, obviously was seemed surprised to me when he spotted a gun. Um, and we now know that that holster on Mr. Allen's right hip was empty. And there was a gun on the body cam video on the floorboard of the driver's side when they pulled his body out of the car. Greg Scordis joins us uh, again, um, KSL legal analyst. And Greg, one of the things that stood out to me as you're watching this video, the driver has his cell phone and it appears that he is recording the interaction. Uh, So he has the, the camera pointing kind of at himself and at the officer, so he's recording this interaction. Um, can you walk us through? Are we going to see this video? Do we have access to this? When will this become? Because it's the one piece of video that is inside the car. Right, and and they will get that, and we probably will see that at some point, Dave. But it's a little bit different than the officer's body cams, which are readily available. The officers turn them over. They give the information to their their uh, lieutenant or whoever's doing the investigation, and they can download that. But in this case, the driver's cell phone may have a password. It may be protected. It may be something that the government can't just access just by clicking a button or pushing a button. And And they might also just be doing it very carefully and get a search warrant that will allow them to search the phone for the video. So that will just take a little bit longer Then they're going to have to uh, figure out how to get into the cell phone, get into the, to the password protection, if you will. And, but I assume that we will get that. And it does appear like you guys both described uh, that the driver was videotaping the incident and that will be an important videotape. And I, I don't know that it'll be much different than the body cams that we've seen, Uh, But it'll certainly be uh, from a different perspective that we don't have. The driver kind of repeatedly recites, it almost seems like legal mumble jumble to me. I mean, some of this stuff I couldn't quite follow. Like the officer had to provide him with a contract that had his wet ink signature. That's what I thought I heard, Greg. Um, he, he, he accused the officer of, of trying to incur debts or that the officer would be responsible for any debts that were incurred during the, the traffic stop. Um, 
this this is not normal kind of interaction for most of us when an officer pulls uh, us over. How would you how would you describe uh, Mr. Allen's response in that traffic stop? Well, unfortunately, Debbie, it's sort of out of the playbook for these um, sovereign citizens, uh, and and there must be something that they read or that they see that tell them uh, what to say and how to react. Because I've seen that scenario play out so many times uh, with traffic stops and with individuals who proclaim to be sovereign and not not subject to the to the laws of this state or this country. They're they're almost like they're a sovereign nation, if you will. And and that playbook seems to be followed just by the T in this case. And we saw a body body cam earlier of his own mother being stopped and her reaction and her statements are almost identical. So it, it's pretty rehearsed. It's part of, of this whole uh, whole sovereign citizen, uh, you know, understanding. It doesn't make sense. It is gobbledygook, and, and it's not consistent with the law, but it's something that is apparently being taught for these individuals to say, and, and, pro, and they even believe it. They believe that they are not subject to man's laws or this country's laws. Greg, I... Maybe you can walk me through it. When you can see the tensions are high or they're escalating, it's certainly suspicious. Are officers allowed to just leave or let this person go uh, to, to maybe help de-escalate the situation? You know, I, I think they could have. And maybe looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But it, it's tough for officers to just walk away from a a violation that's occurring in their very presence. And, and, and really, it was just give us your name, just give us your identification. They probably would have given him a citation and sent him on his way. I mean, it wouldn't have been very hard at all. Um, and so what they're doing is saying, okay, we're going to take you out of the car. And I don't, even, I don't even think that was an aggressive move by law enforcement. They go into the car, they undo the seatbelt, they take him out, and they, and they shake him down. They pat him down. They make sure they see if he has an identification. That's all they were doing, and they even told him that. It looks like more of a violent, violent encounter, but it really wasn't intended to be. If you listen to the officer and you watch his body language, I don't, I don't think this officer had any intention of beating up the kid. He was just getting him out of the car, and, and sometimes they have to do that by, by the use of force, and, and it happens with people who are in jail and don't want to go to court. Sometimes the officers have to literally pick them up and, and take them to court. And, and it just, it, unfortunately, people create that situation for themselves when it would be so easy to just comply and get out of the car and complain about it later to a judge. Greg, Debbie just reminded me as we were watching that video, he said something along the lines that if you try to remove me, uh, we're going to have a problem. Yeah, we're going to have an issue. An issue. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that is said by the driver just moments before the um, gunfire, you know, before the officer goes into the car to remove him, Greg. So I wondered if you're the officer on that, listening to that statement and then open the car and then you see the gun and, and presumably the officers felt that their lives were in danger. You have the one officer yelling, gun, 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 gun. If that statement by that driver um, plays into this in some way for for justifying or, or not justifying the shooting. Oh I, oh, I think it gives the officers a heightened reason uh, to be concerned, a heightened reason to 
perceive that something's going to happen when he says, and to the extent, basically, you're going to be sorry. You know, if you if you try to get me, if you try to do something, you're you know, there's going to be consequences. That that gives the officers the impression that there is going to be a problem, that he is going to put up a fight, that he is going to do something, and and so they, it would put them on higher alert, Debbie, and 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 maybe it did, maybe that did contribute to what happened here a little bit. But of course, once you see the gun, all bets are off. Officers have to do whatever they need to do uh, be, to protect themselves and, and each other. Greg Scortis, thank you for uh, taking the extra time to walk us through this story because um, I, I don't know, Deb, it, it, it's, it seems so preventable uh, in on so many levels. It, it's just heartbreaking that it turned out the way it did. And, and again, I just go back to I'm watching this video and how quickly it escalates uh, from just calm interactions. Mm-hmm. The driver's voice right. is not yelling. It's not screaming. Yeah, you're talking about a misdemeanor, Yeah, right? I mean, you're talking about probably a misdemeanor. I mean, we don't we don't ultimately know what would have happened because that traffic stop couldn't continue because yeah. of the of the shooting. But um, yeah, and also I'm, I'm curious to know if the if the officers off, offer statement that will certainly be part of the investigation um um, how they felt in the moment will be factored in to the investigation uh and also maybe that cell phone video as well that you said you know you you noted there if that if he was indeed recording the driver was recording that will be part of the investigation my point is is this body camera video and the dash cam video that we've now been provided which is clearly all over the internet is only a portion of the investigation. I think we have to keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And we, as we learn more from from this, we will provide it to you. David DeGenevic. Special coverage of the top local story. Returning to our top local story this morning, which is the release of the police body cam videos in the shooting death, the officer-involved shooting in Farmington. It happened a week ago, a week and a day ago. We do have new insights this morning because Dave and I both looked at this video. Um, 25-year-old driver, Chase Allen, shot to death uh, during a police uh, interaction. It began as a traffic stop. You can see from the dash cam video inside the initial officer's car, Dave, and there's just one officer. Um, it becomes clear uh, from that dash cam that there's this illegitimate license plate, and that's what the police department has been saying all along. There was an illegitimate license plate. And, and now that this video has been released, uh, we can see what happened from that point on, after that blue sedan was pulled over in that post office parking lot, the actual incident only lasts about four minutes between the time the officer gets out of his car, knocks on the window, Chase rolls the window down just a matter of inches, and then four minutes later, shots are fired. There were so many things that happened, even in this short Three minute, four walk, minute. Walk us through some of the things that you're seeing as you're as you're looking at the video right now, Dave. As you said, as soon as the the window gets rolled down by just a few inches, the the officer and Chase, the interaction is calm. They are not yelling at each other, but the officer is just calmly saying, "Hey, I need this. I need this information," and then. The the response from the driver was very strange. I didn't know what he's talking about. Things like I don't need a registration. I don't answer questions. 
Uh, the officer, I, my observation, immediately identifies himself from uh, the moment he walks up to the car as to who he is. He's in uniform, so there's no question, in my view, anyway, that he is a, a law enforcement officer. He says he's with the Farmington Police Department, and I think this is key. He immediately explains the reason for the stop, that there's not a registration on the car. Uh, but then the interaction goes on for about four minutes where the officer asks repeatedly for identification, uh, that he's lawfully required to identify himself. Um, and he also asks him, he's repeatedly asked by that officer and then other officers who came for backup to get out of the car I believe I counted, let me double check my numbers on that. I actually sat last night and counted all this. He was asked to get out of the car six times because I wondered, you know, how often the officer, how frequently the officer did ask that question. It was clear they wanted him to get out of the car. But what I also noticed, Dave, is the police officer doesn't ask if there's a gun or some sort of a weapon inside the car. I didn't hear that on the body cam video. I also noticed that the driver does not say that he has a weapon. Um, we now, you know, after the shooting goes down, you can see a holster, an empty holster on the driver's right side, which is by the seatbelt. And then you see the gun on the floorboard in the body cam video of the driver's side on the floorboard there. Joining us right now is Clark Aposhian uh, with the Sporting Council, a gun lobbyist. Uh, Clark, so often we turn to you uh, to, to kind of give us and an insight into the laws uh, here in Utah and, and what compliance looks like. You're also a concealed carry uh, instructor, so you, you can provide that kind of insight as well. Uh, but can you walk us through a little bit what what you see uh, when you when you watch this video or you uh, you know you learn more about this interaction where nobody quite understands, what that there's a gun even present in the car well let me start off give you a little bit of background under utah law as long as you're not a restricted person and you're 18 years you can actually have a loaded firearm in your vehicle a loaded handgun uh, in your vehicle without any permit required and it's been that way then in addition oh maybe 10 years ago maybe more there was an administrative rule that required just permit holders because they were really the only ones that could, could at that time have a loaded firearm, a loaded handgun in the vehicle, it was required them to notify at their first opportunity affirmatively to law enforcement if they were stopped that they had a firearm in their vehicle. But it was only applicable to permit holders, not to anyone carrying illegally. So it, it, uh, there's no requ- at this time, there's no requirement that uh, that the that the individual that was shot notify law enforcement, and under there was a uh, Utah State Supreme Court ruling that ruled in dictum as part of a, an overall bigger thing that law enforcement on a normal administrative stop, which this started out as for a registration violation, uh, that it's an improper question to ask, hey, mm-hmm. is there any firearms in the vehicle? But I can see uh, that that a, a police officer would take this from a normal administrative stop to what happened to when the, you know, perhaps a fraudulent ID was given or something like that turned into more of an investigation. And I could see um, why he sh- 
he may have wanted to ask, hey, are there any firearms in the vehicle? But, but, I did, I did, but I didn't hear that. But I didn't hear him ask that, at least not on the body camera footage that I watched. And I, and I, I want to and I also didn't hear the driver offer any information about a gun. And when I watched the video, it's it's certainly it's in my view, it's wasn't I can tell everything that was going on in the on the driver's right hip. And he was asked to get out of the car. Some may say, well, maybe he was reaching over to undo his seatbelt. He was asked repeatedly before that to get out of the car. Uh, and then others would say, you know, maybe from the cop's point of view, he thought that he was thrusting himself back and he was reaching for his gun that was in the holster to maybe uh, use it against the cops. Uh, we also know, I also know from watching the video at the, toward the end of the video or the end of the scene where they're assisting the driver uh, out of the car and then rendering aid to him, I hear an officer ask, did he fire any bullets? And I, I felt that they were referring to the driver. And that is like, I heard the response, like, I don't know. I, they don't know for sure at that point. Of course, they're going to run tests on that, Clark. Um, but so there's a lot, you know, we can learn from this. I mean, maybe it just the video ends up causing more confusion. But what would you instruct as a concealed carry permit instructor and a, a lobbyist on the Hill and somebody who's run the sports shooting council and been a member of it for years? What do you instruct gun owners to do when they're in a car with a gun and a cop is asking them to get out? Well, that, well, that's real simple. It's, it's we instruct common sense, which is, hey, if you get pulled over uh, for a normal administrative stop, you're going to end up staying in the car. Uh, there's not going to be any searching or anything like that. You don't need to, and it's a, you know it's a traffic violation. You don't need to to notify law enforcement. It just adds an extra element of anxiety to both people, I think. So as long as you're not getting out of the vehicle, or the firearm will not be accidentally or inadvertently displayed or discovered uh, before you know you, you you tell the cop, hey, I've got a gun. You don't need to say anything. But if you're going to get out of the car, yeah, you need to. Uh, effectively communicate to the cop, hey, I've got a permit and I have a gun and it's in the glove box or it's on the seat or it's on my hip or something like that. So that law enforcement, so that that officer for officer safety doesn't find out in a, in a flash, in a moment by seeing it, uh, that you have a firearm. Clark Potion, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a rough story. It was a rough video to watch, Deb. Uh, to watch this unfold, how quickly things turned from just a, a simple traffic stop uh, to a man being shot and killed. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.